Good afternoon. This is Dr. Brent Turvey. And as usual, I'm here again with Melanie Inglis, my forensic investigator. And we are going to talk today about some very, shouldn't be controversial topics. We're just going to talk about history and science. How about, how about we call it that, right? <laughs> Isn't history always a tad controversial, really? Uh, only if you're on the wrong side of it. Only if your desire right. is to suppress history and to suppress facts and evidence and events. Uh, the United States is really good at that. <laughs> We're really good at that. Uh, that's, that's kind of the problem. And the reason why this matters is because of context. We are constantly encountering the issue of victim in, within the issue of victimology and criminal profiling and forensic investigation. We are encountering the issue of intersectionality and vulnerability. And to talk about this in, a, in, a, in an informed way that does not further silence voices or diminish exploit that, that, that doesn't uh, allow for the exploitation of other people. We have to talk about historical context. You can't separate a crime from the crime scene and you can't separate a crime scene and a person from their history. The, inter the intersection of history and context is one of the most important concepts to understand as it relates to crime, forensic investigation, and even criminal profiling. So in that context, we a couple weeks ago, you and I launched into a discussion. I don't know how it happened. I, I, I'm, I'm oblivious. <laughs> I can't remember how it happened either, but it happens yeah. often for us where we're talking about yeah. something at surface value and then it just like you're, gone. you're walking along in the shallow waters up to your ankles and it's nice asked, and warm. And then all of a sudden, I asked one, one question where I'm just like, could you just explain this to me a little bit? And then we're in the 1800s all of a sudden and I'm shocked. Right. So one of the things we have to, 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 to launch this conversation, we have to talk about what is structural racism or what is structural violence, violence that's built into a system. And I can think of almost no better thing to discuss than what Aurelio and Valeria and I were doing last week in Guatemala. Uh, we were working for the embassy, for USAID and for uh, the prosecutor's office in Guatemala City. Uh, and also for the prison system uh, in the, and the justice system in Guatemala to help them with their issues related to juvenile offenders and detention reform. Now, in the United States, when we hear the concept of juvenile offenders, we think of uh, prosecutors who basically want to make all juveniles adults. Why are they doing that? Why would, a, why would a prosecutor seek to make a juvenile an adult and prosecute them as an adult when all of psychology tells us they're not an adult they don't understand what they're doing. What they want to do is they want to pretend that the child is making independent decisions, independent from society, independent from their culture, independent from their parents, and independent from the, from the uh, other sources of influence in their life. They're not fully formed. That's, that's why they're children. They are, they are a protected group. A child is part of a protected class and has certain extra rights and certain extra protections. If you take that away, then they have no protections then they have no uh, special insight or no special requirements to protect them. And that's what prosecutors want because it makes the public happy to see juvenile offenders punished violently. It is a reflection of our desire to be violent as a violent response to crime because we, we feel so inferior and weak as a society when we see somebody committing crime, we want to respond in an incredibly violent way. So it, this is what Guatemala did. With it, with it. What it had is this very specific issue. Let me show you exactly this article for people who want to see it. We'll show you uh, Google. Up with it. 
nothing. I don't care about that. Okay, so let's go to share. This is sharing the screen. We're gonna go to. Well, there's a. Well, I'll just. I'll do it this way. This is. We, we had an instance in uh, Guatemala. In Guatemala, a few years ago, it was actually such a terrible tragedy that was written up in the in the New York Times uh, back in 2019. It involved a. They called it a classroom, but 56 girls were locked inside of a classroom that caught that was set on fire and a bunch of them burned to death. 41 of them died. These were children. These were girls who were in the custody of the state. They were in the ward of the state. There it is. You can see it right there on my. Let me go to this. Let me go to this right here. They were they were made the ward of the state because their parents had been involved in crimes. All right. Uh, let's go to. Their parents have been involved in crimes and their parents uh, had lost custody of those kids. Thanks, Rayleigh. And um, so they were put in this facility to be taken care of as essentially uh, as you as you would do children in an orphanage or children in a, a foster care system. So this is essentially a state foster care facility for teenage girls. Who do they put in charge? This is the problem. This is the structural violence part. They put in charge. They put in the military and the police in charge of them. And so they treated the whole thing like it was a prison. These are not people who've committed a crime, but if you put law enforcement or military people in charge of those people, they will treat them like criminals because that's all they understand. And they locked them in and they put them under guard and they put the people with guns and people and use violence to control them, even though they were there to be helped, to be, to be given uh, protection by the state. They were not criminals. Well, uh, eventually the people who ran the facility started sex trafficking these girls, selling sexual access to them, exchanging sexual favors with them uh, for money, for, for, um, for, for food, for, for basic liberties that they should already have. That's what happened. The people who are attracted to do this kind of work within law enforcement or within the justice system, who are attracted to work that allows them control over other people, are not always the best people. They are sometimes the worst people. So uh, the guy, these girls, a bunch of them escaped, and they got rounded up and then brought back and put into this locked into a classroom. It wasn't a classroom. It was a, a bed. It was a room that had a bunch of beds and mattresses in it. So one of the girls to, to signal for help, lit one of the mattresses on fire so they could get the attention of the other people in the, in the compound. Well, <laughs> that person with the keys left and there was only one key to the locked door. They left to go buy something. So they were not even on the compound. So everybody inside suffered damage and 41 of them died. Why am I, why, why does this matter? It matters because this is a group of, of uh, people who are, don't have the money to get real justice. So they're made wards of the state and they're given uh, their, uh, the people put in charge of them are themselves some of the worst possible people you could put in charge of these people that you could put in charge of children, people there only to exploit them. And their death was absolutely unnecessary. It was absolutely because of the, it occurred because of the impunity that exists in the system. It occurred because there's no check and balance against that kind of, of corruption and impunity at that level because society doesn't care about those people. It's what we refer to, again, as necropolitics. There are groups of people that society does not care about. And we know that because we vote with our money. We vote, we vote in levies. We vote in funding for different things. We don't vote to help kids. We don't vote to help protect them. We don't vote in libraries. We don't vote in uh, for schooling. We certainly do not want to help people that are under state care because that would be an admission of a failure on our part. We would have to admit that we are failing on some level. So there are people, there are groups that have always been marginalized in society. And I think this is where we started because we started, you and I started having a conversation about 
I think we were talking about, oh, I remember now we were talking about, um, you and I were having a conversation about the chapter in, in our upcoming textbook on criminal psychology about consent and what it is. That's right. What it is, what's yes. it about? Because this was the number one issue in Guatemala. We met with these, we met with some, some uh, juvenile offenders and they said the number one problem is a lot of these kids aren't literate, but they aren't literate in a way that they don't understand what consent is because their parents don't understand what consent is. So they're often going right. to jail for sexual assault when they've never even been taught what sexual assault is. They're just modeling what they're seeing with their parents. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the biggest issues. And what I wanted to, Rayleigh was bringing up this other article there that's really important to note. The problems that exist in Guatemala are the same problems that exist in the United States. So, for example, when you say that sex trafficking happens in Guatemala at foster care facilities, we just had a same scandal in the United States where the U.S., where the Texas Rangers were brought in to investigate a foster care community that was set up by a religious group where they were trafficking the girls. The Texas Rangers came in and said, oh, there's no trafficking here. There's, we, we did a whole investigation. Nobody's being trafficked. They're just being made to, but they, however, they are being made to exchange sex and sex acts for, for uh, prescription medications and food and other freedoms and liberties. And the federal judge reviewed this and is like, how dare you morons say there's no sex trafficking? In fact, what your report demonstrates is that the Texas Rangers, the most elite law enforcement agency in the great state of Texas, has no idea what sex trafficking is. They have no clue. And that was this month. That was... Uh, no, that was in March, right? This last month. It was last month. Thanks, Aurelio, for bringing that up. So the issue comes around this kind of, do we understand what crime is? Do we understand what consent is? Does, does the community that we live in actually give us access to that information competently and reliably? And the answer is no, because historically, we've had that problem in the United States. Because historically, there are a ton, there's a ton of legislation out there designed to control women's bodies, designed to control uh, what consent is, who has, who can, who can ask for consent, who can give it. And basically in a very, I will be very blunt about it. Our the United States has been very successful at suppressing education related to this and imposing laws, which restrict women and their bodies. Women have very few choices about their bodies, very few choices about their healthcare. And, and every day we see more laws being put in place in places like Texas, in other Southern states, mm -hmm. other sort of Trump supporting states, that is in Georgia that essentially are designed to allow men to put a bounty on women to control their bodies, to control their access to knowledge about healthcare, to knowledge about sexuality, to knowledge about their rights as a human being. That's, that's the problem. So we, I sent you kind of on this path, this rabbit hole of exploring the issue yeah. of the historical context of abortion laws and midwifery and their connections to white supremacy. Now, that's right. Always, I, I asked one question. You know, right? I asked one question, which was, can you explain to me why some states are enforcing the abortion, the laws are surrounding abortion? That is all I asked. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I got a history lesson. It's a little, it's a little complicated. Which it's I had absolutely, and I'm not ashamed to say, I had absolutely no idea the depth of that and where it came from and the connections to things, but also backtracking on what you just said. Yeah. I am very well aware in the past, I would say just few months, even I know that consent is always this topic that it's not understood very well whatsoever, yeah. but to the, the, like the 
complete ignorance to what it even means or what it represents or the the different layers of that like somebody could go along with something and it's just there's so much to it that is not understood and people have no idea what sex trafficking is no they have an idea from movies and television but they from you had a little bit of a back and forth conversation about sex trafficking when it came to something as simple as just somebody being a female being hired and having to represent that sexual appearance and be flirty and do all these things with the expectation of doing it for men. There's also trafficking involved because you're getting a paycheck, but you need to do these certain things that are not people don't put that. You you have to make yourself either sexually available in reality or the appearance of sexual availability or the appearance or, or the tolerance of sexual harassment, innuendo, sexual discrimination, and the tolerance, or even even sexual assault, which is, by the way, any sexual assault is when somebody touches you in a sexual fashion without your consent. Rape is the is penetration. So that's, it's right. a very, that's a very interesting kind What we got here? Hostility towards abortion rights. So there's a lot of states where there is this, oh, this is what led to it. So why, your question actually was a little more refined than it. it was a very good question. Why are religious people so bent on ensuring that there are more white people born. Why would this be again? Why are they so anti-abortion? Why are they so bent on making sure that women have to have children constantly? One is to gin up numbers for their for their for their religion. They're, they're creating more taxpayers and more people in their religion. But two, it's because in the 70s, there was an advisor to the presidents who basically said, yeah, um, the 70s and 80s, he basically said, if white people don't start breeding more, we're going to be outnumbered at the voting polls very soon. And by the way, that's already occurred. So the only way to ensure white dominance in structures of power was to ensure that less, uh, uh, more white people get born. So this meant uh, restricting, restricting access to abortions and to other, and I, abortion, we say abortion, but we're really talking about it's prenatal, even healthcare, sexual Knowledge about human sexuality so that people are stupid when they have sex. They don't understand where babies come from. Make sure that's true. And then two, make sure that they understand that females are always subordinate to men in the household. So we got to promote religion. And then three, we got to make sure that it's difficult for people to vote against this. So people with different values, with with non-Christian or non-religious values are not able to vote in the same way that others can. That's the whole point of these laws. It's not really about abortion. It's about ensuring that more white babies get born so that white people are not left out or not put into the minority class. That was the fear in the 70s and the 80s. And it's real now. It's a very real, it's a reality. But that's that's the problem is this concept of white supremacy. White people want to control the polls. They want to control political office. They want to control structures of power. And by the way, if you think they don't, just take a look still at this. We just had a huge fight, a huge fight in the United States over electing or putting a woman, black female, who's a former public defender and former judge, into office as a, as a member of the Supreme Court. The only reason they didn't like her is because she's a black woman and a public defender. So they didn't like anything about her. Her view is one of justice and tolerance and, and um, fairness, right? That's her view. That's not what they want. They make it very clear. What we want is ideologues. We want people on there who are going to help us overturn Roe v. Wade so that fewer abortions can happen in these states. So there are these rules Banning abortion for, say, black women, this is a very important concept. It's always about controlling social groups and ensuring poverty through breeding and ensuring white supremacy through breeding. All right. 
Certain groups have to stay poor and disenfranchised, and other groups have to have the numbers to stay in control and can stay in, and stay in power. This is not actually controversial stuff. This is just history. This is just in history. It's in the history. It's in. It's been written about hundreds of times. What I want you to do for me is I want you to talk to me about your journey through the material that you went, because I think it's the way you described it to me was fascinating. Tell me what, when we finished our conversation about voting rights and, and white supremacy and, and abortion laws, you went on, you did what you always do is you start, you just said, shut up, Turby, I'm going to do my own research. And you did. Tell us what I did. you did. That's right. Tell us what you did and what you found. Now, let me just say, it wasn't that I was skeptical about the information you were giving me. I would. Be. I just like, well, okay, fine. Sometimes I am, but the majority of the time, I'm just interested, so yeah. I go on a search on my own. Now, as I found out, which is very interesting, in Canada, some of the stuff that I start Googling, I can't access. <laughs> so there is a lot of information I've had to learn to actually go around to try to access information because they are, um, they're making it very difficult um, in my experience for Canada to to get some of this information. I was having trouble getting anything from uh, like the UN or abortion. I it was I had to go around it. Let's just say that. Yeah, I, found I want to make this very it. clear. This is so important that you said this. Thank you so much for mentioning it. Every country sees a different internet, and it's right. it's it's screened based on the presets that Google Google sets in place for that country and its laws. All right. That's right. If and you, I I didn't know that. That's an important thing to yeah. But, so thank you. For I didn't know that. that. So I, I started to see that with some casework. I'd be getting links sent from you um, to access some information about um, keeping U.S. citizens poor. Like it was, it was a YouTube clip, but I couldn't yep. access it from here. So I had to go around it and get into the U.S. internet so I could actually access all this information. So when I went looking for this, it and for, at first it was very difficult to find this information until I, I found my way around it. Yeah, and then. This information is is there. It's it's not difficult to find, and they're not they're not uh, sugarcoating anything by any means. I'm reading through these multiple articles on abortion and white supremacy, and the link to, um, in between them, and it would say things very bluntly, like we are we're scared that um, I think one uh, article said the those states are being watered down, and they're going to be white is going to be the visible minority and we're scared that we're going to lose the seats in certain voting polls. It was there. Just they're not hiding. White supremacists they're not hiding it. The fact that they're white supremacists. They just call no. themselves white nationalists now. And that's the same that's thing. That's right. And they're so, and the, 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 the ignorance of that pride is so profound to me. But then if you bring them in a public forum or bring them into a national forum, they start denying it. And what they're hoping right. is no one reads. Because amongst well, themselves, they're all reading what they're what they're putting out there, but they're hoping that no one else on the other side reads, so they can pretend for the five minutes is, where they've got a national audience that they're not racist. That's right. And but this is the thing: is nobody. You said that I do what I usually do. You give me information, I go looking for it. I, if I can't find it here, there's a block. I want to find it. I'll go around it. Yep. But this nobody's reading. Nobody does any research. And so I stumbled down a rabbit hole of abortions and different states and white supremacy. And then I landed in midwifery in the 18, it was like 1800s, talking about uh, black women who were essentially birthing all the children. They were there, they were supporting the women, they were birthing all of the children. And then we get um, a wave <laughs> of white men that are getting into gynecology and OBGYNs. Right. And they immediately 
started to attack and there was a, a, a schmear campaign basically. And they were saying hateful things like one article was saying that the black women carry diseases and they're dirty and the babies are at risk. And they, it was publicized everywhere to push them out. So the white male could come in and take over the woman's body. Then they were in control, right? They had well, all the say, they were getting involved. For people. The people probably are hearing you and this sounds crazy, but let me tell you I, this. Ask, I, ask this question. This is a very simple question. Uh, are bras designed by men or women? Are tampons not by, designed by men or women? Are not by women. For women designed by men or women? <laughs> men. Were razors designed to, like we, we can go all the way back to exactly. why women all are now shaving. Women's like, body is controlled by men, exactly. <laughs> right, exactly. And what they want and telling us what we should be. And it all boils down to, like that example I was just giving you with Gillette, right? They brought yes. out those razors and they, they started to say, well, we need more money. So we're going to tell women that they need to be hairless because that's what men want to see. And that makes you clean. If you are not, then you're dirty. So buy our product. It all boils down to money. Men are controlling money, it money, and money they're controlling and women's bodies. Money, is about, money, money is about and power. power. Yeah. yeah. Right. So that was my rabbit hole that I went down. And yes, I've tried to explain this to people and they're, okay, that's, you're crazy. Like, where did you get that information? I'm like, how about you just get off your ass and start looking? Like start paying attention to things and looking for the information. What we're encountering, well, the, the problem is once you get a certain level of knowledge and education, you encounter people on a daily basis who are very dumb, very uneducated, and they got C's and D's in class and they graduated high school and, you know, they go out into the world and the world that they want to see reflected back to them is their C and D level of knowledge. And so anybody who is just as dumb as them, they think are smart. So right. they want to see that yeah. stupidity reflection, that, that bias. And when I say stupidity, I mean, racism, bigotry, bias, right. prejudice, all that stuff, all that anti-science pro-religion stuff. They want to see it reflected back to them. They think that's intelligence. So you're, if you are yeah. trying to give them facts and evidence and information, you're wasting your time because they don't care about that anyway. So I have is, found that out. It's, it's frustrating. But the other thing <laughs> is it's about um, the, 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 uh, the great hypocrisy of the pro-life movement is they're not pro-life, they're pro-white. What they yeah. want are more white voters. What they want is more white presence, more white visibility to maintain white power in, in the structures that already exist. Because the structures that exist don't benefit white people and they exploit uh, people of color and people who are immigrants. That's the whole point is to have this class of people that are still enslaved. That's why there are more black people in prison now than at any time in history. That's why we like to keep immigrants illegal so that we can hire them as our housekeepers or our landscapers. We like why we like prostitution to be illegal so we can keep exploiting and controlling sex workers who are invariably going to be people from the minority class who don't have access to the kinds of educational opportunities and jobs that everyone else has. We like this structure. It's class, It's built-in classism. But to, to make that real, we have to keep doing other things. We have to keep doing laws and keep doing things that control. Well, we have to have, we have to make it real inside the laws. We have to make it real inside legal structures. We have to make it sh make sure that we are um, that women's bodies are not controlled by women. That women's health care is not controlled by women. That women's choices are not made by women. That you have old men. Like, did you see on the, what was on the, Aurelio, can you bring that up? There was the, the, the guy, the guy on, uh, on the floor of the Senate uh, talking about what, I'm going to define a woman for you right now. I'm going to define gender. It's about whether or not someone's got a tallywhacker. 
This, oh, this wow. is uh, Crawthorne, his name is. Uh, Crawthorne, he's the guy in the wheelchair who's a senator who is now um, saying he got invited to sex parties with, with cocaine <laughs> at, among, the, among his colleagues in Congress. And this is, you have men explaining sexuality and gender and men explaining uh, women's health to women when they are deeply ignorant on the subject. It's always about mm -hmm. men white men in particular, controlling the bodies of all women, controlling and controlling all races. That's what they like. That's what they need. And you're, you're, tell me more about your, what else did you find that sort of really stuck out for you in your research that you were doing? That's what I found that stuck out. I was, I went, and then I went into midwifery and back into right. enslavery and all of those things. I went, I went as far as I could, <laughs> could yeah. down that path one of the oh, let's remark on one of the things you said it's about the color color being about being dirty and filthy science is not right. burger king man the car throws trying to tries to define what a woman is and he did a very terrible job at it by the way i just want to say it was ridiculous if you don't know anything about biology or science he probably sounded like a genius but the more information you have the more stupid this guy looks so what, what the narrative the big narrative that got pushed back in the day was when you have the darker the color of your skin the more dirty you are and the more disease-ridden now, who does that remind us of in contemporary times? I believe that was the rallying cry of Donald Trump when he was saying that we have that, that Mexico and Latin America is sending us their worst, uh, the dirty, the dirty people, the shithole countries. That is an attempt to characterize, and that and that reflects on even people that live in the United States who are U.S. citizens, who are people of different colors and different complexions, who don't look like me. It's trying to cast them with that same broad brush, as though they are filthy as though they are somehow dirty. And that, that filthiness and dirtiness translates to good and bad. Mm -hmm. Just and unjust. Oh, that's, and that's where that conversation went too. We were talking yeah. about in present day, how that has affected a certain, like that demographic. And when we were talking about people saying, oh, they smell so clean or somebody smells yeah. so clean beside us. And it's because of this historical context that they've mm -hmm. been taught through generations that, you know, we're looked at as dirty or our skin is this. And then they are, it's like having to do these things to, to just be in society and not be called those things because of the historical context of their skin color. That's exactly right. And it, and it's a, it's a fault. Let's be very clear. I don't, it shouldn't need to be said, but for my white supremacist viewers out there, it's not true. Right. <laughs> the color of and, your skin. Most people on this planet are not white. They're not, and they're perfectly they're fine. They're not any more disease. They have no more diseases than the rest of us. Disease is a function of poverty and access to health care, which, by the way, white people control. So if anybody, any particular group is missing rights or missing health care and has problems with their with, with, with running water, that's us doing it to them. <laughs> what you just said, this shouldn't have to be said, yeah. but it does. This is the unfortunate part. In all of these things we're talking about, that which you just referenced, um, consent, sex trafficking, all these things have to be said. And that is really unfortunate that we are still dealing with that. I had somebody try to mansplain a female reproductive system situation to me. I've had children. I, I, they were talking about labor and delivery and I'm just looking at them like, can you please stop trying to tell me about what I've already been through and you've done none of that. But it's yeah. just this, well, let me tell you, because I know better. <laughs> well, not just that. They, when anytime a female or any other person of a protected group tries to talk to a white male about anything, or even a male yeah. in general about anything, 
they feel inferior immediately. They're normal. They're uh, they are accustomed to being at the top of any class of any in any conversation. They are accustomed to having their voice being the most important voice in the room. So even if a woman is talking, they will talk down over the woman to, to get her to shut up so that they They're can told explain. told to relax. We get told to relax. Oh, yeah. Well, one of my favorites is... Too dramatic. One of my favorites <laughs> one is settle down. Settle down. Oh. Just settle. That calm is the most settle. thing you can say. I don't want to hear calm down, settle down, or relax. In other words, stop being, stop saying things that are going to challenge my mad, my fragile grasp on my own masculinity because I need to be in control yeah. of the situation because I am, because I'm the man or I'm the whatever. It's all about right. class and race. And that's, that's the problem. So what do we do to, what are they, what, what do people in structures of power do to control the narrative, to control the situation? They make sure that those people that they don't like, don't have a voice. They pass laws and legislation to make sure they don't have choices with their own body to make sure that they are forced. Women in particular are forced to be just breeding vessels. And by the way, in a religious community, that's all women are. In Christianity, mm -hmm. in, Muslim, in Muslim cultures, in, I, I don't know of a single religion where the woman isn't merely just a vessel for breeding or, uh, on, the, on the spectrum of religion. There's right. very few. There's, there's some spiritual belief systems where that's not true. Uh, but that, those, I wouldn't define those as religions in the classic sense because their a belief mm -hmm. system is different than that. Right. So that's very frustrating to me. I, 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 I see that. And I see that constant attempt need to control the, the other one. So one, you pass the laws to make sure that white men are always in control of women's bodies and, and immigrants and immigrants and the existence of, of, of people in poverty and other vulnerable groups. But then you control the education system and you make sure they don't have access to education and information about history. And, and then when people do have access, what do you do? You make sure you do a constant narrative of science being bad. Science, educa science, education, evidence, these things are bad. These things are absolutely against God. They're against uh, good society. They're against uh, what it means to have a happy family or a good family. They're, those are the enemies. The, good, the, the people who are not the enemies, those are white men and white women with perfect families. That's what you should be going for. And by the way, get a mortgage to make the banks more money. We want that. And take a job as a slave, working minimum wage, working minimum wage, wherever you can, to support all these other good people running you, to, to make sure Jeff Bezos has another billion. <laughs> right? <So, laughs> right. You're right. It's a little much, but it's true. No. Unfortunately, Perfect. I got asked yesterday, I was doing an interview with a journalist and he asked me whether or not we were talking about forensic science in general. And we were talking about the structure of, professional organizations and why they didn't check on members who were fraudulent and why there were so many fraudulent members in these professional organizations in forensic science and why nobody did nobody know about it or is everybody in on it? And I'm like, well, if you're born into a particular system that advantages you, whether it's an economic system, a social system or a, a government system, if you're born into a system that advantages you and promotes you and you can see rungs and you can climb the ladder, you're going to think you're succeeding and you're going to think that's good. If you're born outside of that system, you're going to see the injustice more clearly. So it is very difficult for people like me to step outside of that and have empathy for people who are not benefiting from the exploitation of people like me. It is an incredibly difficult thing to do, to actually recognize your own privilege, to recognize the structural violence that's committed against other people. And here's what I would agree. Here's what I would admit helped me the helps me the most on a daily basis to see it more clearly. 
I actually have friends and people that I love who are, who don't look anything like me, whether, whether they be Mexican, black, uh, uh, Chinese, uh, doesn't matter. doesn't matter what that, and, and female people that I love and care about who are marginalized every day, who fight battles every day that I'll never have to fight, that I'll never have to get challenged in ways I'll never be challenged. And if you have real empathy and really have real relationships with these people, you're not going to say shit like, like, oh, well, I can't be racist. I have black, black friends. I have, uh, I can't be a misogynist. I have female friends. No, my friend, you're just because you've got those friends does not mean that that's erased. There are structural things built into the way that I think and the way that I see the world that are inherently racist. There are phrases that I use that are inherently racist, and I don't know it until it's pointed out to me because I'm not the one being hurt. If you're not the one being, being exploited or being hurt, it's very difficult to see how a particular system is hurting other people or exploiting them. And that's the challenge. The challenge is empathy, right? Isn't that always the challenge? I don't know if anyone possesses that anymore. <laughs> uh, they do, but those people are too too damaged to speak. <laughs> too damaged to speak. Um, but the other thing is, I want to see more people of different backgrounds in the sciences. I want to see more women voices being heard on these subjects. Uh, we just I just gave a lecture before 250 attorneys and uh, judges in in Guatemala in a place called Chiquimula, Chiquimula in the middle of the jungle, in a very nice hotel built by Narco Money. <laughs> Aurelio and Valeria and I, we were giving these lectures and they were generally well received, but I was feeling pretty annoyed with the group that night because of some other things I won't talk about. But I got up there and I said, there's not a single person in this room who's here because of how smart they are or how good they are at their job. They're all, you're all here because you're privileged, because you have money, you have access to education, and you had people helping you, whether that's people in your community or people in your family. You have the structure and support to be in this room. You're not here because of your particular genius or gifts. You're here by a, by a freak accident of genetics and geography. That's it. That's a, another and, and, very difficult concept for people of privilege. Yeah. And that's when you have that privilege, it makes it very difficult to see other people as as being exploited by you. You think they're, you think they're at their level because of their choice. You think they're, they're being harmed because of choices they've made. Well, they only had shitty choices. They didn't have good choices. They have good choices. If you have good friends, good family, and I, by that, I mean, and family with access to power and, and, uh, and uh, access to some wealth and resources, you have better choices. That's just the way that it is. If you don't have that, you're making the best shitty choice among a bunch of other shitty choices. And you're not, and you're going to be one of the people who gets exploited. Uh, one of the most offensive things we've heard recently, obviously, is from Kim Kardashian, who said, uh, if you want to, my, my advice to young women who are trying to get ahead in business, just work hard. If you just work hard, you'll do well. No, you won't. That's no, never going to be the case. Working, the hardest working people are the people who make the least money. If you want to see a hardworking right. person, you want to see a guy who works three jobs to support a family at minimum wage and gets five hours of sleep a night. Women, women in the same condition. Those mm -hmm. are the people that work hard. Those are the people who do backbreaking work and get almost no money. So that's that's a myth that we purport in order to get people to buy into this system of exceptionalism. And that is the problem. The problem is the myths and the narratives we tell each other without giving people the basic educational requirements they need to understand the system that, that, they're, that they're in, the system that they're supporting, and why it is they are limited. One of, I, would, I would like you to touch on this, and this is the this is the perspective you can bring that I don't have. 
Why do you think so many women are willing to buy into this idea of men controlling women's bodies, men controlling the narrative about relationships, men controlling women's sexuality, men controlling essentially all aspects of women's lives through religion? Why do you think there are so many women that that buy into that from your perspective? To feel accepted. To feel. There was a, who was it that said that? I was watching a really good TikTok the other day. And it was a guy who was talking about, um, oh, no, that wasn't a TikTok. This was not a TikTok. I was watching, ah, basically the narrative was essentially that um, I was watching The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, the Stieg Larsson novel that was made into a movie where it's, yes. uh, it's, um, it's uh, Stellan Skarsgård's character. He's the serial killer. And he's talking about how easy it was to get – the Michael Blomquist character to come back into the house. He goes, all I had to do to get you back in that house was to offer you a drink. And people are more concerned about being perceived as rude and impolite than they are with their own life. You would think that personal safety would be more important than acceptance, than social acceptance, but it's not. No. That is a very powerful lesson. We will do all kinds of things to not appear offensive, to not appear as though we are um, being rude. Mm-hmm. Walk right I toward that. That's right, and I find that that is. I I just had this conversation not long ago either, and it was about um, raising the girls. Right, I've got children, yeah. I've got girls, I've got little mm-hmm. girls. So about what to inform them about without terrifying them about the world around them, but how to also keep them um, aware of what's yeah. going on. Like yes. I said, without traumatizing them from everything that I know. Then one of the comments that I had from somebody was, well, hopefully they're not dumb enough to, you know, just go off with a stranger or not dumb enough to get into a car. And hopefully, they, you know, they've got enough rain in their skull or something like that. And I just thought, but historically, we are, are taught to not be rude, right, as females. So even if we're in a situation where we feel that it's not going to go well, we can have that instinct. But it's like, okay, well. I'll just, you know, I'll talk a little bit longer. I'll try to brush it off in a polite way. I'll stick around. I'll take the drink, you know, if I know that it's safe and I'll just laugh it off and all these. And this is where this whole concept of consent and all of these things come in. Nobody understands any of it because we are just supposed to be nice. And we end up in situations. What did the police scream to us? The police, while killing us, while we are unarmed and protesting and that sort of thing, while they're killing us, they're saying, you need to be more respectful to law enforcement. You need to be taught to be respectful to law right. enforcement. Respect people in positions of authority. So all a serial offender has to do is either be a person in a position of authority or mm-hmm. simulate that they are a person in a position of authority to get the compliance of people through this particular suggestion, the social idea of politeness and respecting authority and doing what you're told as being mm-hmm. the mantra. That is an extremely dangerous mantra. Any cop who's saying that kind of shit, they're essentially inviting criminality. They're saying, I'm going to be criminal and I'm going to do stuff that's bad, but you need to respect it. No, we don't. That's not true at all. No. What's true is people the, have rights. People have civil rights and they have human right. rights. And cops are constantly getting reminded of that by getting sued and fired when they step out of line. They need to learn that. What, what cops right. need to learn is not that people need to be polite. They need to be polite. They're the professionals, mm-hmm. not the person on the street. They have an obligation to be professional, to be courteous, respectful. They have that obligation not the citizen. The citizen could put a middle finger up to a cop and that's protectively a constitutionally protected speech. 
That's right. And going like going back to the, the female perspective of just raising oh, girls, yeah. the, the, that's one thing that moms, I'm the, I'm the bad mom in, in this area. It's a small town. I'm the bad mom. I speak out. I have opinions. I, I challenge people. And specifically with my kids, I'm not teaching them to be polite. If they are out and they are walking and they're with a group of friends and some adult, whether it's law enforcement or not, I'm not teaching them disrespect. I'm teaching them boundaries and being able to voice those boundaries. You don't need to be polite. You don't need to walk over to the vehicle. You do not need to do those things as a female. No, always be aware of what's going on and you keep going on your merry little way. You don't need to be, you know, being nice to someone or say hi because that person said hi. No, no. I'm looked at as like this horrible, <laughs> I'm the bad mom, you know, teaching yeah. my kids such disrespect. It's not disrespect. It's boundaries. Yeah. It's not. It, and it's human. It's human and civil rights. That's right. <laughs> the problem is too many people in positions of authority, whether they work for the government in, in uh, government agencies or specifically in law enforcement, they do not understand criminal law. They don't understand civil law. They don't understand human rights. They don't understand civil rights. So they're constantly running up against people who aren't doing what they say. What is it? Instead of understanding that their authority is actually quite limited, they get angry and they coerce a situation where they think they're entitled to act a certain way because they can they can view it as someone breaking the law. You're you're resisting. I'm I'm going to arrest you for something you're not doing, and when you resist arrest, that becomes the crime. That's right. Crime of resisting arrest for a crime that's not commit, being committed. That's, that's the not happening. One of the most common things they do. It's very frustrating. But often they get sued for it, but often they don't. I, the same journalist yesterday is like, well, why aren't more people suing over this stuff? You would think it would be a great lawsuit. And I said, brother, it costs 15 grand just to file a lawsuit and another 50 to see it through. Most people that's don't have that. And time. And time. And time. And These things don't just show up at the you know, in front of a judge and it's a few hundred bucks. This is thousands of dollars in years. Well, to we get have a movie idea of lawsuits because we see things mm -hmm. through the narrative of film. And so we, all the time that occurs for, for a case, it gets compressed into two hours or an hour and a half. And so a case can take years. It can take generations. I was watching again, uh, yeah. the ghost of Mississippi uh, about the assassination of Medgar Evers. That took, gener it took two generations to solve that case. Two mm -hmm. generations, maybe three if you count the grandchildren. But that's a great film, The Ghost of Mississippi, if anybody hasn't watched it. Really great uh, explanation about the South was and remains to this day. It remains that very much. There's a resurgence of white nationalism and racism going through the South, starting with Georgia and Florida and into Tennessee. By the way, if you've ever been to Tennessee, Tennessee people think it's, oh, it's backwoods, it's poor, it's not glad. No, Tennessee is a bunch of wealthy fucking white people. Who have turned yeah, into a it is. Land of white people? Yeah. It is one of the most racist places you'll ever see. Uh, and, and by the way, I'm a white guy. I know that I have racist tendencies. I know I have racist concepts and thoughts. Slowly, one by one, as I get as I identify them, I try to remove them. But it's a process, not a result. So I, I'm aware mm -hmm. of my own. <laughs> I'm aware. Believe me, I get made aware. What did I say but, right before we got on here? Awareness is key, right? Awareness is key. Just being aware that you have the ability to exploit and harm other people with your actions or inactions. And then being able to see that as a structure. So I'm just a person. I'm just one person. But when I see that in a structure now, now I, re I recognize it when it's, when it's made policy. Mm -hmm. I recognize it when it's designed to exploit individual groups of people. Now we're, I mean, so I, I think we have this idea of how cases get resolved. And we have ideas of how regions are based on films and television. But I think it's amazing 
how many people don't have real knowledge and information about their neighbors, about their communities, about other communities and other, and other countries. And that ignorance allows us to exploit those people or to treat them poorly so that we don't have to take responsibility for how that exploitation benefits our, us. Right. And it, and it starts with how we control women's bodies. I think that's one of the women's bodies, one, and the exploitation of women. And then two, uh, how we historically have treated uh, African-Americans and other minorities in the United States and keeping them as a, as a second-class citizen so that we can exploit them continuously in all manner of ways. It's very, it's a, uh, once you see it, you can't unsee it. But I think it requires, in my experience, it requires that you actually have real friends who have gone through this and are being honest with you. If you have a, if you're a white person like me and you have uh, friends of different colors or different nationalities and you're not talking to them about this, it's because they're not being honest with you because you're not really friends. They're next to you or with you because they want access to certain things or they're just trying not to upset you. Right. Yeah, not the, and, and also on that note, the person that has those friends has to have the ability to listen and be empathetic <laughs> and to understand and to come outside of their comfort zone and not get defensive about what they've been brought up to believe, what they think is right and wrong and all of these things. A lot of people don't have the capacity to hear it and not say, well, I don't see it like that. They don't have that capacity. Also to be uncomfortable. You have to be willing to be uncomfortable. We all have to be willing right. to accept the level of discomfort to have conversations that need to be had and to accept realities that need to be accepted, to accept true history. Ah, white culture. I, first of all, Aurelio has made this very clear to me, and I don't think he's wrong. Whiteness is not a culture. There's not a whole lot of real culture. The white culture is actually just about money, money and accum accumulation and exceptionalism. It's the culture of the, of the influencer. Now, at this moment, that's the, that's the culture. We don't have... A historical culture that associates with specific food or with specific music or with specific uh, rituals. We have religion. Uh, we have rituals we've stolen from other cultures and integrated as our own. And we have food that we've tried to adapt. The only real uh, culture, I think he's probably right about this, is that we have good food from the South. The South has some good food. The South has some very good food. And the Native Americans that have influenced uh, food and the way it's prepared in the United States that has some good value to it. But that's the only thing that's uniquely American. The rest is borrowed from everywhere else. There's nothing wrong with that, but it isn't a culture. We've, we've colonized other cultures and absorbed things that we like as our own and try to pretend that we, cre we created them without giving any credit to, the, to where it came from because we don't want to study history because the, the hist our history is a history of conquest and exploitation. Mm -hmm. We don't want to talk about where that came from. And that right there, Valerie's comment is exactly what I was saying. This fairy tale, right? We have this fairy yes. tale Disney movie situation about how men are, our women are looking for their knight in shining armor, but be polite, but be aware of boundaries. That's yeah. Like need for to be example, assertive. is it okay? Is it okay for a man to come up to you and touch your hair or any other part? Uh, how often does no. it happen? Oh, well, Saturday, I could tell you 30 times running. I was security at a place, at an establishment, and I had multiple men come up and either touch me or just like, oh, hey, nice to see you. Why are you touching me? Right. It happens all the time. And no, it's not okay. Stop touching people. Yeah, exactly. Why are you touching people <laughs> without their consent ever? Why? Don't stop. Uh, just stop touching people. So let's I'll, let's end it here for today. This is a good first foray into this conversation because what it's really about is 
first recognizing that there's a problem and that there's a history that we don't understand that connects these ideas. And I think in future episodes, we should start, we should start, we should start one by one talking about these issues in a more structured fashion so we can talk about their history and the echoes that we see today. How would you, I think that's a better, a better way to approach it. Right. Whatever you say. No, oh man. Whatever you say, white man. We'll end dad. early now. Was, we'll end early like, now because you said. You're what not. You say? That's Aurelio Thank laughing you. at me because Aurelio needs to laugh at me a lot. <laughs> and he's right. Aurelio's in the back. I'll just I'll just stop talking now. Brent wants to end it. So we're gonna stop now, everybody. Ten no, I minutes said, early. I think, but I think it's a I think it's a great idea. Your it's ideas are always hour, great. That's why I was trying to segue politely. It's always great. Let's <laughs> just end it here, men. It controls the space. Thank you. Right? <laughs> yes, thanks. Until and next time, one, everybody. Brent should talk less, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Weren't you already told to talk less more than yeah. once it, 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 by the man uh, sitting behind you? He's, he's, he's a Jesus. He's, he's a <laughs> And also, also, yes. Oh, wow. There also, you go. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for mansplaining where did, his location is. Of course not. Am I a work in progress? I hope. I'm, I don't know anymore. Oh. I feel like we're taking steps backwards all of a sudden. Just yeah. talking about men controlling the narrative. And you're like, you know what? I think this is a good time to end it. What do you think? <laughs> no? Okay, let's just stop here. Man, that's so true. That's yeah, so you true. just did it. So anyway, instead of dragging it on, let's end it because you wanted to. Oh, no, it's the top of the hour. Be respectful to your time and my time. Okay. Trying to be respectful. Let me put it, let me put it there. Aurelia's got, got the structural violence chart here to show what I did and how wrong it was. Yeah. Which, that's the only way I'll learn. There we go. Where Awareness we is key, Dr. Turvey. Awareness is key. Future. I'm sorry. A man is showing me something. <laughs> That's white culture. That's why I'm, I'm being shown white culture. Oh, shit. Time, holidays, justice, competition, aesthetics, future. Into, oh, God. We're, yeah, we're screwed. We don't have any real culture. Oh, man. That's, this is why it was I. A nice, it was an oh, excellent man. deflection. There we go. Rugged individualism. That's why I moved to Alaska. Family structure. Yeah, that, that was true. Uh, Northern European history only. Yep. And a Protestant work ethic where work is more important than people. Yes. Pretty much is is Canada any better? I hope. No. Is it better? Or are we? Nope. Nope. You're in the same nope. boat. Same boat. Yep. Okay. <sighs> All right. Well, would you like to walk us out, Melanie, or would you like to stay a little no. longer? I, I, I you go. I, you go ahead. You go ahead. No, no, no. After you. <laughs> You've painted me into a into a into a gender corner that I can't escape from because you're right. <laughs> That's right. I am right. I know. I didn't paint it. You painted it yourself. I just vocalized it and showed everybody. Right. That's right. I painted it and you pointed it out. You said, what are you doing, right. man? You said you wanted more women talking about it and voicing these things. And I did just that. Uh, you need, And you need to do it more. more don't, welcome. Ever, don't ever change, please. I will I'll, not. I'll never get better if you don't change, if you change. I will not. I will continue to call you out on your bullshit. I, I have lots. So it's, it'll be a long conversation. <laughs> I am aware of this, yeah. but you'll tell us when you're done talking and we'll just end it. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs>
Everybody else, this has been The Hard Truth. We're going to do this again a lot more times in a much more structured fashion because we need to hear these. We need to hear this voice more. And we need to hear my voice less. All right? So you, oh, I was going to say, you're talking about yourself? <laughs> your voice. <laughs> your voice and other voices that are have been marginalized, perhaps. And the, the voices of people who are getting hurt as opposed to my voice. Thank you so much for joining us. Anything you'd like to say on the way out, Melanie? Please. Oh, you're so polite. No, I'm good. Thank you. Thank you. I would like to thank my Mexican producer, Aurelio Coronado. (laughs) White people can talk. So that to allow it, allowing white people more space to talk. Thank you. With his his gifts of cinematography and filmmaking, Uh, uh, my brother in love and in life, Aurelio Coronado. Thank you so much for my help. Wow. And Valeria, thanks for not piling on. Thanks for not joining and piling on. You're a good friend. This is a large overcompensation. Yeah. Everyone have a good week. Thank you for joining us. We'll continue again in a we'll continue again next week. Hopefully at the same time. Take care, everyone. Mm